1: Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an
0: enemy's list, which was rather extensive and continually being updated. Democrats want Republicans dead. Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting
1: pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions.
0: On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. So, no, it's not right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real.
1: <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemy's List. Joining us today on The Enemy's List is Ro Khanna. He is one of the smartest members of Congress when it comes to tech regulation and the impact of tech on our politics, on our economy, and on our country. And we're so delighted he's with us today because I want to ask him some questions that I am that I am just not smart enough to understand the implications of yet. And I think a lot of people will appreciate learning more about where we're going with big tech, the emergence and consequences of AI. And with that, Ro Khanna, welcome to the enemies list. Thank you so much for joining us. And I wanted to start out with the question that seems to be consuming a lot of people in the tech space right now. What's the direction right now of of the emergent AI industry? And what are the upsides, downsides, economic pluses and minuses in your mind? Where do you see it heading? I know that's a very broad question, but I think it's something that a lot of people are really going right now.
0: Well, first of all, Rick, thank you for having me. Thank you for your advocacy for democracy and your, your voice. You. On Social media, as well as on, <laughs> on, uh, a, a broader uh, framework, which actually is a good place to start. Uh, the technology by, by itself is relatively neutral and can amplify good voices like yours and bad voices. And our challenge is how do we make sure that technology is doing good for society and our country? I think when it comes mm-hmm. to AI, we should make a distinction between two types of AI. There is the current form of AI, which is machine learning, which in a simplistic way, think of it basically as autocomplete. You know how when you're doing a search on Google, it figures out what the best search is, or if you're writing an email, sometimes uh, it can complete the sentence. Machine learning in a complex way is just taking a lot of data, figuring out a pattern and saying, okay, this is the next iteration of that pattern. There's the second issue of ai which is general intelligence and we're at least agi uh, right yeah agi and we're at least 5 to 10 years away from that and there's a huge philosophical debate of is that even possible for a machine to approximate human learning but i think what what's relevant is to focus right now on what we are doing which is machine learning and then you look at okay what are the benefits or not benefits of it let me talk briefly about some of the benefits I was at a, a white rabbit, a company near my district, and what they do is they <laughs> mm-hmm. use this AI to look at mammograms. And it turns out when you have a radiologist that uses AI for mammograms, you get a lot of improvement in both in detecting a positive, but the actual benefit is if you have a negative, it's easier to certify that it's a negative. And so many women who come in, they get peace of mind easier and cheaper than having to wait a long time, weeks, before figuring out whether they're positive or negative for breast cancer. That's an example of a positive use of AI. Another positive use of AI is, let's say you have a kid in school and you want to know what the best curriculum is. Well, they can take a lot of data and figure out, you know, maybe your kid needs a, a little bit more work in this kind of math or, or this kind of reading and you can really customize a uh, program. What are the negatives? Mm-hmm. I take a very uh, basic case, uh, uh, pornography. I mean, now you don't—you can have victimless pornography. And I think actually over the next six months, that's going to be one of the biggest challenges in terms of a practical problem. And of course, there are issues of uh, if you have garbage data into an AI program, you're going to sure. have garbage outcomes. So those are a few things off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, I recently went into a rabbit hole about poisoned LLMs and, and the data sets that that they now have to sort of like start to certify their data sets before they do this because there is so much misinformation out there already. You don't want to feed into these AI models garbage. You don't want to feed into anti-vax stuff or whatever that's or or, or anti-climate stuff that's that just completely wrong because you'll 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 get a terrible outcome. A lot of folks are worried. I think in the economy right now that AI could be the next wave of an economic disruption. When globalization came up and when automation and technology came up, there was this sort of wrenching dislocation, especially in the industrial American Midwest. And there's this fear now that AI, as it develops and improves, will start to have a more white collar impact on things like CPAs and lawyers and HR people and all these areas, customer service, all these areas that are more or less white collar jobs. What do you think the timeline is on that I, I feel like we could be in for a shock sooner than later. I don't think it takes a g i to replace some of those sort of white collar college educated jobs in the, in the in the current economy
0: Well, right. first of all, I think the country made a colossal mistake by allowing the hollowing out of the industrial midwest and we didn't have to absolutely
1: do that. I in Johnstown,
0: Pennsylvania, and Lordstown just a couple of weeks ago. The fact that Of the top 15 steel companies in the world, not a single one is the United States, and nine of them are in China, was not Mm -hmm. inevitable. It was a colossal failure of American leadership for 40 years. And we can reverse that. Now, now I call it an economic patriotism. The president has started to do that. So the question about what's going to be displaced and not, I think, is in part a question of, of policy. Right now, here is the advantage of AI, but AI actually should make it that you don't have to be really good at coding or a computer whiz to be able to use technology. When you had the power loop, for example, in the industrial revolution, and Paul Krugman writes about this, Mm -hmm. uh, initially the people who used to know how to use the power loom, they got a ton of money. Once power loom became easy, everyone was able to make money. In some ways AI could do that to the valley. Right now the computer whizzes are making a lot of money. If AI makes it that you and I, anyone could use this technology you could have it actually augment the experience. Now, do I think there's gonna be mass automation? I don't, and here's why, uh, I could be wrong, but here's why I don't think that. When you go into a CVS and you buy something and you have that auto checkout late, mm-hmm. how many times do you have to ask a representative to say, "Sure"? oh, the credit card, they all take my credit card, I don't know this, I don't know the right price, right? So the question is, how do we use this technology in a way that is a tool that people can use to augment their experience. And I think that requires two things. It requires us having much more technology proficiency, technology understanding from K through 12 and, and beyond. Whatever you wanna do, you're gonna need to understand machines. Whether you wanna be a machinist or whether you wanna be someone who's a journalist or someone who has a podcast. And the second thing is we need to have the worker perspective in developing what the appropriate use of technology is. And if we do both, we could actually see, but
1: AI could bring a lot of the manufacturing here back. It could create new jobs and I think a lot of it's policy. I spoke to some guys who are doing some aviation stuff and it's like, some of these tools are actually allowing them to start doing things that they would have ordinarily had to either outsource or, would have taken like a staff of 20 engineers to do, and now they're they're being able to validate some of these test results and things. I think you're right. I think there is an economic lever there where it can be a real unlock for a lot of prosperity in the economy. But one of the things that I think I, I, that I certainly as a political guy I'm concerned about, I, I, wrote, I was ahead of myself in 2019 when I wrote my second book, and I said, we're going to have a wave of deep fakes in the 2020 election that is going to surprise you. We didn't. But I don't think we're going to dodge that bullet in this election. What do you think of the implications of some of the stuff that, that I mean, uh, some of the deep fake materials that somebody did a deep fake of me the other day, a voice deep fake of me, uh, somebody, a friend, not somebody who was you know, doing something malicious, but it was kind of surprising. It was kind of like very on fidelity. What do you think the political implications of some of that rising ability to do deep fakes, both visual and audio are going to have on this election?
0: I'm concerned. That's actually one of the biggest concerns I I have because as you know better than me, Rick, I mean, we're in such a polarized nation that a few percent can really oh, yeah. swing an election. I mean, if we were in a place where presidents were winning with 55, 60% of the vote, right. it'd be very different. Or <laughs> senators were winning, which we were at one point, you know, FDR, Reagan. Yeah, but we're sure. in a place where there are a few hundred thousand votes that are gonna determine these key states and vote for the Senate and the presidency. And if you have a deep fake, let's say a deep fake about uh, a health scare or a deep fake about uh, a scandal. Uh, and even if we all figure it out two days later, uh, what is the damage that's been done to the electoral process of of two days of a, a rumor? I mean, we already know without the deep fakes, we've had totally fake rumors influencing the outcome sure. of elections. 100%. And I don't think we have a good thing. One of the things i pushed for in public settings is, do we have a system where the president and senior leadership of this country can assure people that when they're speaking, it's them and it's not someone else? And how can they do that within 30 seconds or within a timeline? And how are we communicating that, whether it's the New York Times or Fox News, that what they're putting out is actually the news agencies? I don't think we've done enough of a... A due, our due diligence on the information flow, the authentication of the information flow to the American public.
1: I think that's a really good and, and frankly, terrifying point. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot slash Wilson. Odoo, modern management made simple. Right now, we still have had this long-running problem in D.C., where and I, I agree with you when you said that like the European model is not the regulatory model for American tech. It doesn't quite fit the cultures and the and the infrastructure. But I think a growing number of Americans are concerned about the untrammeled power of some of the tech firms that are out there to alter the debate, to alter the economy, to control sectors of the economy, essentially with monopoly or near monopoly power. So talk to me a little bit about where you see the future of tech regulation. Is antitrust a part of that or are we going to try to do it more piecemeal? Because I I think there are good actors and bad actors in the valley and in in the tech space. And but I do know that Americans are increasingly sort of on edge about it.
0: I agree with you. Let me. Plays four places briefly of what we should be doing. One on AI, we should create an AI regulatory body like the FDA. FDA, FTC,
1: sure. Mm FTC.
0: You know, what I say is we have the best drugs in the world. And I'm not always uh, a fan of the pharmaceutical industry, but we have the best drugs partly because we have brilliant people inventing these, partly because we've got the best agency, which is the FDA that has high standards to do that for AI. Mm -hmm. Second, let's all agree on the kids. The fact is, When you look at social media, it's causing depression, it's causing suicide, it's causing eating disorder. You know, with young people, this should be bipartisan. How do you have a product that you know is having young, particularly teenage girls, have depression and even suicidal thoughts and have no regulation? We need to regulate the use of social media in kids so it's not your worst experience in junior high on steroids, which is really what it is right now and for many Mm -hmm. people. Third, have an internet bill of rights. Give people, you own your data, you should have certain rights. I've been calling for this since I got elected to Congress. Still haven't done it. Fourth, antitrust is a part of this. And Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar had a thoughtful approach, which I thought was reasonable. I would have supported, which basically means platforms shouldn't be able to advantage themselves and need to have a fair, open process of giving everyone a chance to compete. But the last point, which often doesn't get mentioned, and when I go down to the south in a place like uh, Georgia or you go down the Midwest, there's $10 trillion of market cap in my district. Mm -hmm. Every few months, I have to name another company, Apple, Google, Intel, Yahoo, Now I have to put NVIDIA in the list. How is it that we have an economy where all of the prosperity is in a few places, and so many people who have dreams of being entrepreneurs who want to get jobs in these fields are being totally left out. We've excluded sure. uh, the African-American community, Latino community, rural communities. We have to do a far better job of giving more people pathways to prosperity in a digital economy. And we haven't done that.
1: Somebody said one time, we need more than Silicon Valley. We need a Silicon nation and we need to expand. It's also like a like a scary failure mode in our economy. If a major earthquake hits the San Francisco Bay Area, it could knock off a meaningful fraction of our U.S. economy. It's better to spread that out a little bit and move that out into a, a wider distribution, not only economically and socially and and regionally, but I, I guess there is some hope, though, in some of that because we're seeing now after the Chips Act, with you know we're seeing groundbreakings now starting on on silicon fabs in this country for the first time in a long time. Ah, uh, in places like Ohio and elsewhere, how's the Chips Act in the sort of reemergence of the hardware substrate, or the hardware stack of tech in the country right now?
0: Well, right. Thanks for mentioning. That. I'm biased because it's one of the things I'm proudest of in Congress of doing. I helped with Todd Young and Senator yep. Schumer write the Chips Act, and I'll tell you the the benefits and 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 some of the challenges still. The benefit is for the first time, we're bringing production back to America. We, mm-hmm. we realize we can't just do the design. We've got to make these things in the United States. I think people were horrified when cars were lying on vacant lots and not being able to like be sold because you didn't have a chip. And yep. then when we invented the semiconductor chip yep. and at your point, Rick, on the economy, look, when Detroit did well in the past, his automo- and the automobile manufacturing sector did well, the, the coal towns did well back then, Youngstown sure. did well. Now when Silicon Valley does well, I don't think it really necessarily means Youngstown does well or other places does do well. We're not as connected as an economy. The Chips Act is trying to say, let's be more connected, and it's 20 billion dollars into Columbus, Ohio, with these new factories. Right. Massive investment. We've got to talk about it more. I mean, the president has done more for the state of Ohio in terms of investment than probably the last uh, three or four presidents combined easily. I mean, just factually, but we're not getting the story. Yet. When you have Senator Vance actually saying, uh, who cares about the Wall Street Journal? We don't care about this is Vance saying, I don't care about their free market ideology. The Chips Act is working and we need to do more of that. And all right. of the Republicans, by the way, in Ohio have supported the Chips Act. Right. And that was this president's leadership. He's actually doing what the president, what President Trump promised. He's bringing some of these jobs back. So what are the mm-hmm. challenges? Here are the challenges. Columbus, Ohio, just candidly, you know, they already have J.P. Morgan. They've got Ohio State. They've got these tech places. This isn't getting exactly into Lordstown. It isn't getting into Ashtabula. That's it right. isn't getting into war. So we've got to think about what can we d- be doing a modern industry in places that aren't Columbus, Ohio. And we can. We could do clean steel there. We could do clean aluminum there. We could do a lot of things to reindustrialize America. In those places that rely on technology. But I think the CHIPS Act is a good first start
1: and it's working. I don't think most Americans realize that if one organization in Taiwan called TSMC, which builds so much of technology ac- across the globe, if they went offline as they somewhat did it during COVID, it affects the global economy and it affects the American economy at a scale and an impact that people do not understand. Re- Establishing the ability to do some of this manufacturing in the states is I, I think it's a vital national security interest for one thing uh, but it also has an economic lift that that I think is enormously important. Let me ask you a question about Congress because you know years and years ago we had that the, the the sort of like weird tech ignorance of the series of tubes and last year we had the is it on the Wi-Fi when we were talking about Facebook and privacy? Is Congress up to the task of taking on a lot of these big technical challenges because there are still, there are still a lot of guys who think their flip phone is the, is the cutting edge of tech? I sometimes worry about that because I feel like people don't have a real grasp of even the terrain of the questions and challenges of tech in both the House and the Senate.
0: Rick, uh, it's getting better, but unfortunately, your criticism or your observation is, <laughs> is correct. I said the United States Congress is about the only body that could have made Mark Zuckerberg look sympathetic. People <laughs> came in with Zuckerberg and said, like, Go get him, go get him. And then they saw the members of Congress, the senators ask you questions, and said, God help us. You know, we probably are better off with Zuckerberg or something. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. and, and here's the point, Rick no one has to be a computer scientist we don't no. we don't want a congress of computer scientists no, God, no. but you know when people talk about the economy and they have Jamie Dimon or others come in you may disagree with their critiques but no one thinks they don't know what they're talking about they may say they're ideologically opposed but we haven't had that same sense of immersion in technology. And this is where I think uh, having a a gerontocracy bluntly in our Congress and Senate has made us out of touch with modern life. Like these folks aren't, they don't do their own tweets. They're not on Facebook themselves. They're outsourced that the 30 and 40 year old staffers. And it would be like, if you've never driven a car and you always have your staff member driving your car and you've never actually had to drive it, you probably wouldn't be the best person to make the rules for the road. So the problem isn't that they don't know coding. The problem is that they aren't immersed in daily life with technology. And that's just something, I mean, there, there should be a boot camp of immersion to, to really be able to then have the ability to know who the experts are, who the people are that we should rely on. And I'll tell you just as a representative of Silicon Valley, these tech folks, they think it's a joke. They come in, they get yelled at I by the members of Congress, they say, okay, we'll have the, we'll give them their viral clips. They'll put it on. They'll they'll be embarrassed. And then they're like, look, uh, they're not going to do anything. And that's been going on for six, seven, eight years.
1: I think that is a pretty persistent perception in D.C. As as a chief of staff to a member of Congress told me about uh, three weeks ago, he's like, what am I going to do? He goes, I've got, this town has Facebook lobbyists for every conceivable member of this organization. They've got more lobbyists in this town than than, than members of Congress, how do you think we're going to climb that hill? It, it is a question I often have. It's like they realize pretty quickly how to play the system in terms of donations, lobbying, etc. Is Congress outgunned? Because every time, in particular, as you talked about earlier, you know we have a, we have a product from Meta, Instagram, which as as Scott Galloway and many many other people have written extensively about. Materially causes harm, particularly to teenage girls, in terms of self harm, in terms of self image, in terms of anorexia, cut all these, these huge clusters of terribly consequential impacts. It's been going on for years and years and years and years. And if this was a breakfast food causing this, we would have regulated it already. We would have taken a step already. If this was a, a something else causing this, we would have already regulated it. Is Congress just outgunned by the lobbying community that Facebook has and, and the and the tech firms have in D.C.? Lobbyists
0: are an issue, but the issue, the bigger issue is that it hasn't reached the urgency of leadership pushing it. When leadership wants Mm -hmm. to do something, they can get it done. And that's how we got the chipset done. That's how we got infrastructure done. The president has mentioned it in two of his state of the unions that we've got to regulate social media for young kids. But I think there's going to be a full focus on this to say, as you put it, our kids, one third of American teenagers... Teenage girls are contemplating suicide at some point, not a medical condition. One third That should yeah. send alarm bells in this country. Yeah. Social media isn't the only cause, but it's a cause. I mean, I've been out to dinner where, you know, family members, something, girl, or even boys, 15, 14. In the middle of dinner, they'll get up, leave. Mm-hmm. I said, where are they going? The post of Instagram picture. I said, what, what is going on? How are we allowing that right. in this country? There are some very simple regulatory bills measures we can take. It should be bipartisan, and you know the, this is something I think the president. i bias biased because I've been pushing this for seven years, but I think the president should try to get this done, make this a huge issue, and and if, if the Republicans oppose it, run on it in 24. But I actually think you'll get Republicans supporting some of these simple reforms.
1: I, I think that's right. I mean, I think I, and I think there are people who have who have recognized the risk factors there. It's a hard thing for DC to unlock an action step because there is a certain coincidence between the sort of tech bro libertarianism and free market Republicans who don't want it regulated uh, on philosophical principles. And so much of Silicon Valley seems immune to the market forces. Like, if, again, if it was a breakfast cereal that caused teenage girls to cut themselves, you know, at some high level. We would have banned it. It would have been, it would, the product would be anathema. It would be poison in the, in the, in the market. But you don't see that with things that, that are causing this kind of structural harm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling, Wherever you sell with Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/slash-tech. All lowercase. That's Shopify.com/slash-tech. One other big platform that I think a lot of people are are concerned about, legitimately, I think, is TikTok. And TikTok seems to be like the platform from hell in a lot of ways. It's largely controlled or at least influenced, apparently, by its home company, ByteDance, back in China. There are the algorithmic nature of it is it's consuming an enormous amount of time, effort, energy and reshaping you know, a generation with this algorithmic feed. What are your thoughts on TikTok? Where does it sit in Washington these days of, of either regulating it, forcing a spin out or anything like that?
0: There's bipartisan consensus that we should be forcing the sale or not allowing TikTok to be owned by the, the Chinese government. I right. mean, we wouldn't allow the Chinese government to own a network news station. We wouldn't allow them to be owning the New York Times. And they right. certainly wouldn't allow Facebook or Twitter or others to operate in China. If they and don't. don't <laughs> yeah, you know? it, it doesn't seem that this is a close call. And the the danger is that you could have subtle manipulation of a lot of our young folks in terms of what they're seeing in videos. And I I just don't think it's worth the risk. Why do we, why take that risk as uh, the United States of America? So I, the consensus is there in Congress. I hope that the
1: administration will take action on this and force the sale of it. I think that TikTok has been this sort of, like an iceberg effect in the culture so far is it is providing so many hours of, entertainment and content and influence on a particularly like 30 and younger cohort in our economy, and our society, and our politics, that I'm not even sure we're accurately measuring it yet. Our polling has started to try to like tease it out a little bit and dig into it a little bit, but it's, it, it's still a very, it's an enormously powerful platform without any accountability, because if there was an American version of TikTok, as you said, there's no way in hell China would allow something there that could influence that Larger cohort of their population.
0: Absolutely, and and Instagram Reels are basically taking some of TikTok and Facebook's good at that. They took what Snapchat did and incorporated. But you can have a lot of American tech companies take some of the basic ideas and run with it. Here, Uh, I mean China did that with almost all our technology. They took, right? right. (laughs) You know, so I don't understand this. I don't understand why I don't look. I'm very sensitive as an Asian American. If you told me like ban. People from China from coming to America, I'd say, no, that's xenophobic. Banning TikTok is not in any way xenophobic. That's basically protecting the sovereignty of a country from meddling on our information sources from a foreign power. I think it's a very reasonable policy.
1: TikTok's going to be a probably a bigger fight than Meta or Twitter or anything else in the coming in the coming years because it's it's still growing its influence is enormous. Thank you for keeping an eye on it in Congress. Congressman Rokana, thank you so much for joining us today on the enemies list. Uh, how can people find you on social media? Well, I appreciate
0: it. I'm mean, at @Rokana on on Twitter, on Facebook and uh... Appreciate uh, your voice, Rick. And I appreciate, you know, you've been one of the leading people, of course, against Trumpism. But I appreciate in particular your thought of these issues. Because in my view, after we defeat Trump, if whatever comes beyond, if we don't address these underlying issues, we're going to remain a deeply polarized country. And it's really more. D- addressing these structural issues to try to bring us together after the, uh, the, the mess with uh, the
1: Trumpism. Yeah, it's going to be a long road, my friend. Well, thank you again, Ro. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. <laughs> On today's enemies list is Tommy Tuberville. Now, Tommy Tuberville is from Alabama. He's a former football coach. He spent some time darkening the door of the University of Miami back in the day in Florida. Um, but now he is a U.S. senator from the sometimes great state of Alabama. Although he is currently embarrassing himself the nation and, of course, the state of Alabama, he's holding up military promotions across the board, but particularly for the Marine Corps. Tommy Tuberville is a small man with a big mouth, and he's decided he's going to freeze promotions in the Marine Corps until the Department of Defense um, follows along on a whole bunch of petty little bullshit political positions he has, um, many of which involve choice. But it's well beyond that. It's it's the amorphous wokeism game that these guys like to play these days. Tommy Tuberville doing this does not help the U.S. It doesn't help America at all. It helps Xi and China. It helps ISIS. It helps Vladimir Putin. Because what he's doing is crippling the Marine Corps. Uh, People who should be promoted into, into jobs are not leaving. People who are are timing out on their retirements are leaving. He's leaving many, many jobs in the Marine Corps unfilled and including the commandant of the Marine Corps. So if you're a Tommy Tuberville constituent in the great state of Alabama, you might want to tell him he's on the enemy's list. Thanks again for listening to the Enemies list.